So it's going to be one of those messages that's probably going to start off as maybe the whole way through. I don't know. It's a little bit of a downer. I like to try and be a funny, happy guy. There's times when, I don't know, hopefully we can find something funny and happy in here along the way. But the realities are that not everything is funny and happy in this life all the time. Okay. We're just going to grit our teeth and bear. This is funny. Mm. Okay. It's not hard to see that the world is a broken place. It's just not. Some of you have heard this story before. I told somebody it recently, and, and so this is the story that came to my mind when I was thinking about how broken our world is. And I think it was one of the first times in my life that I'd really, really, really seen the level of, of dysfunction and pain and brokenness in our world. And it was when I was living in Vancouver, British Columbia, and one of my professors gave me an assignment, gave the whole class an assignment, to go downtown Vancouver, B.C., to the downtown east side. And if anybody knows anything about Vancouver, B.C., the downtown east side is where they basically don't police much criminal activity. It's the most extreme of criminal activity. So drug dealing, prostitution, much of what goes on in most cities, they kind of corral in one area by letting people do it and not people not getting in trouble for it. And so then, of course, it's a really, really, really difficult place, really tough part of town. And this professor gave us an assignment to go down there during the day. He asked us to go in groups, but, of course, I'm not that kind of person. So I went by myself, and we were supposed to start in the west side of downtown and walk at least a couple of blocks into it and walk all the way through, well, as, as much of it as we felt okay with, the downtown east side, and then back in the downtown west side. And I know it, it was an eye-opening experience for me. I had been in some difficult places in my life before, but nothing like that. Um, the, the level of, of, of brokenness that was evident there was extreme. Um, I, I wouldn't even want to try and describe to you some of the things that you see, but... but uh, it was clear that this world, if it hadn't been clear to me already, is very, very broken. That there are people that are hurting deeply and their lives are devastated beyond anything I could probably have, I, could, I, could, I probably can't even imagine what some people deal with in their lives. It's crazy how, how broken this world is if our eyes are opened paying attention to it. And sometimes we don't want to, right? Because it's hard. It hurts. It hurts to see just how much pain some people are in. And so we oftentimes close our eyes to it, literally or figuratively. That's kind of what Vancouver did, really, in having the downtown east side be where they corralled everybody. Just keep it out of sight and out of mind. Because when you walk from the west side of downtown, which was really nice, super nice, beautiful city. And as you just made a couple of blocks in, as you probably, some of you again have heard me talk about this before, it's just it's crazy how much downhill it goes. And then you walk back and you see it return within a block or so to beautiful city again. Many times people just don't cross from one side to the other because it's easier in our lives to just keep that stuff at arm's length. 
Well, something else that I think is true is maybe one of the reasons we like to keep things like that at arm's length is it reminds us that there's something that's impacting us all. There's a brokenness in every one of us. There's actually a brokenness on display in that we don't want to see other people's brokenness sometimes. That itself is a brokenness of our own, a lack of compassion, a lack of mercy, a lack of caring. And I know sometimes it's simply a lack of not knowing what in the world to do. But there's a brokenness in us that's just on display there. But, but there's also all kinds of other craziness that goes on inside of our hearts. The Apostle Paul writes and says that sin has mastery over us. Or in theological terms, we are depraved. Have you ever thought, stop to think that like doing something wrong is really easy? It is so doggone easy to just make a bad decision and do the wrong thing, right? Like, I know what I shouldn't do, but it's so easy to do it. And on the flip side, it is so hard to do the right thing. Like, what is up with that? What is up with that it's just so natural, it seems, to be angry? Like, it just seems like an easy response to somebody that's made us mad, and even if they didn't mean to, just, you know, it's so easy to twist the truth around. Like, it's so easy to do what's wrong. So easy. This is how Paul talks about this in another term, is that it's our, our sin nature, that we are. We are descendants of, of Adam. And we've kind of carried that on, his tradition of rebellion and Eve's tradition of rebellion against God into our own lives. And it's, it's in us. Right? I was talking to Beth Ann earlier today, and we were talking about little babies and how beautiful and kind and wonderful and cuddly and, and soothing that they can be. But just as soon as they can start to talk, they're like, eh, eh. <laughs> like when I when I not so much the you know some of that's cute too right <laughs> but probably needs to be dealt with <laughs> but it just seems like it seems so true like I can't get away from it that the world just seems to be at odds with God that we are at odds with God I mean if there's a God and if God is good, and I affirm both of those things, right? Like I, our existence, we can't just have plopped out of the sky from someplace or, or just like I don't believe that we can be so sophisticated out of just nothingness, right? And then when I look at the beauty of the world around us and I look at the beauty in the eyes of people and when we get it right, the care and compassion and love, like, I can't deny that there's something more to us and something more to all of this. And that bigger, more thing is, is God. Can't, can't so if there's a God, and I think that there is, I'm quite certain there is, and if God is good and I'm certain that he is in light of what Jesus has come and done for us, then the way that we hurt one another and we do it so easily simply reveals a world in rebellion. Right? And I know there's probably other ways that people look at this, and there's probably a lot of, like, 
over-churched people that are here. And you've heard a lot of that terminology, sin nature and just sin and total depravity and sin having mastery over us and generational sin going back to Adam, like all that stuff. Like maybe, maybe that sets you off because it's difficult. And I know sometimes it's taught and kind of overpowering, kind of really burdensome sort of ways. But hopefully if you spend enough time in the Word, you'll realize that that's not really quite the way that the Apostle Paul talks about it. It's not the way, quite the way Jesus talks about it. Like the very people that use those terms don't use them quite the way that the church has used them at some times. Nonetheless, I don't think it's, I think it's actually quite impossible to see anything but a world in, in rebellion. So some of you, I know, desire to make the world a better place. So how do we do that? How do we break free of the chaos that goes on all around us and that sometimes goes on right in our own hearts? Like, how do we, get, how do we, how do we deal with that? Well, I want to back up just for another second, though. Just think about this. Like, I just mentioned, and I hopefully it, <laughs> I guess hopefully, hopefully it resonates with you in some ways that it is easy to do the wrong thing. And it's easy to, to live out of our sinful nature, our rebellious nature, our selfish natures. Like that comes almost too natural to us and we have to work against it. Just, just imagine if you just flip that for a second. Just, can you stop for a second and just imagine a world where it is as easy to do good and as seemingly natural to do good as it is to do harm? Just think for a second. If the very first thing that you thought when you're child irritated you or your spouse irritated you or whatever was that, how can I just serve them? How can I make their day better? Like if that was just the initial natural response. It's almost, it's almost hard to imagine a world that has no sin nature, rebelliousness involved in it. And sometimes it's hard. To just imagine our own existences, our own persons, not having that. Okay. So how do we break free from this brokenness that's inside of us, this brokenness that infects our world? Well, I think the first thing is simple. We just recognize that there's a need to break free from something. That, that there is something wrong. There's something wrong in us and that there's something that kind of has a hold on us that isn't the way it's supposed to be, and then just want it to be different. Like, it probably starts there. But then, like, what do we do? Like, if we see that there's things that are wrong and we want them to be different, and we want them to be different in us, what do we do? Should we just, like, have more laws, more rules, more regulations, more policies, more legislation, and then we can have a better idea what it is that we're supposed to do? I mean, having laws, don't get me wrong, is not bad. I would... Never propose some kind of antinomianism where you just have no laws and everybody just does whatever they want, right? I think that's insane in light of the fact that we are seem to be, we do seem to be wired in this rebellious sort of fashion. It's good to have boundaries. However, you know, it, I'm going to read from Romans. We're going to get to that in a second. But it, it does seem to me that the more things that I know that I shouldn't do, the more things I want, more, the more I want to do some of those very things, you know? It's the proverbial child in the cookie jar 
kind of affair, right? See that cookie jar? There's cookies in there. Whatever you do, don't eat them, right? Can't get the cookies off your mind, you know? It, it's just, what is that? Like, we just want to be rebellious to our parents, or in my case, to my wife. <laughs> See, it's the sugar's fault. It's the sugar living in me. <laughs> or the want of the sugar living in me. <laughs> but, you know, okay, so that's actually a good example, right? So we know we shouldn't eat too much sugar because all the bad stuff that it does to us. But as soon as we get a little taste of it, we just want more of it. It's like, I'll say, man, my goodness, since this arm thing, I haven't been exercising as much and I need to eat a little bit less. What do I do? I eat more. That's just craziness. It's, it, okay. Well, just, can we all agree on that? <laughs> oh. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's like even though we know the bad we don't want to do and we know the good we want to do, we just have a hard time. It seems like the more we know it and the more we try to apply ourselves in some fashions, the harder time we have obeying it. So some of you probably know where I'm going with this. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 20. And we are, yeah, in this like four-week-long series on Romans, and it's crazy because I'm actually covering chapters 4 through chapters 8. What's that? I mean, actually, we're going from 4 to 8 technically tonight. And we're kind of going all over the place. So I really strongly encourage you to just go read all of Romans. Really. I, I almost thought about just like reading it one night here, and we still might do that. But this is Paul writing. We know that the law is spiritual. He's speaking of the Old Testament Torah. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I no longer, I myself, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, well this, I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Yeah. Pretty bold and straightforward and willing to be transparent with his own struggles, which is wonderful, to be quite honest with you, right? Because the last thing we need is just a bunch of phony people that are pretending like they got it all together all the time. Boy. So, again, I find it 
it's impossible to deny that there that there is something like this that goes on in us. Call it what you will. I don't care what you can. I don't care. I don't care what you want to call it. But there's this thing going on in us where we see what we should do and we have a really hard time doing it. We see what we shouldn't do and we really have a hard time not doing it. It's tough. It's tough. And it it doesn't only lead us to do the things that we don't want to and to not do the things that we do. It generates in us a spirit of legalism, especially in the religious community, of unhealthy competition, of comparison. And all of those things lead to dehumanizing people. I mean, even the most perfect laws, like, like how about if this was a law? On a regular basis, don't do anything. Just take a break. Kick back. Cool. Right? That sounds like a really easy rule to keep, right? How could that not be? Right, I know. Oh, this should be really a simple one. It should never end up in dehumanizing people. How could that end up in dehumanizing people? But unfortunately, it does, especially amongst religious people. You know, Jesus, it's a lot of flack for not keeping this in the way that they thought it should be kept, and they dehumanized him, rejected him, devalued him because of what he was doing on the day he was just supposed to kick back, because for them, not doing it was the means by which the, God was accepting them, not doing anything, obeying this, this law of Sabbath-keeping. And not only were they dehumanizing Jesus, the perfect human, but this whole way of keeping that law for them was dehumanizing the rest of the people that had a need that needed maybe to be filled on that one day that they were supposed to take a break. Jesus heals people on the Sabbath. Heals a paralyzed, sorry, a, uh, a man born with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. And gets tons of flack over it. Because, again, for them it was a, I'm a, I'm keeping that law, therefore I'm somehow earning God's favor because I'm such a good lawkeeper. Even the best of laws, it's just like so simple it seems, just take a break. They can be twisted in us. And they become about legalism, competition, comparison. I do it better than you do it. If you do it, then you'll be accepted. But if you don't, you're going to be rejected. Even then, then they become these dehumanizing things that end up just revealing all the more that sin has mastery over us. So why? Why? Do you ever ask yourself, why? Why do I keep doing this? Do you ever feel like you're in a competition with somebody else? You've got to get it together. Now, you don't seem to have it together quite as good as somebody else down the street does. Or next door, or sitting next to you. It's dehumanizing 
to yourself to do that. And it's dehumanizing to the people around you because acceptance is being accepted is the most basic human need that we all have. It's being accepted. So I think when we ask, how do we get out of this? How do we deal with this? It begins by recognizing that in Christ Jesus, we've been accepted. There is... There isn't anything that you have to do. And anything you do is not the basis on which God accepts you. I mean, maybe if we could get in touch with that, we could start to realize where our sin nature begins and ends and where the Spirit of God begins and ends in us. You remember the story of Cain and Abel, right? Well, we don't know precisely why Cain killed Abel. But one thing we can glean from that text is that he was jealous of his brother's offering because it was accepted, accepted by God in some way that his wasn't. And we're not talking about the person. We're just talking about the offering. And there was that jealousy, that comparison, that sinful nature raised up in him because he was jealous of his brother and he killed him. Sin crouching at his feet wanting to have mastery over him by comparing and by trying to win God's favor. Ultimately, in that case, by killing his brother. We have to, we have to die, I think, to deal with that sin nature in us, that rebellious nature, that rebellious way in us. We just, we have to die. Hopefully not literally, right? But we, we have to die to that way, to this way that says, I don't know if I'm accepted by God, so i got to find somebody else to compare myself to that will make it look that I'm a little bit better so that I can be assured that I am because I'm better than him or I'm better than her. We have to die to that nonsense. Die to our sinful nature. Out of that sinful nature that among many sins accepts and rejects people, including ourselves, based on performance. I don't care what the performance is. I mean, our whole world is set up that way, so it's so flipping hard, right? You become a professional athlete if you're a better quarterback than some other quarterback. And we somehow put people up on a pedestal that are able to do those things, and somehow we are, they're more accepted culturally. And then we get stuck in that way, in that trap, thinking that somehow we're going to be able to excel at something and because of it, be accepted for it. And it, golly, it just, it accentuates our rebellious nature. It doesn't make it go away, it just accentuates it. It makes it more powerful, it seems. I'm convinced that, that what is, this, this is what's at the, like the core of legalism. This, this idea that we accept and reject people based on performance. Because you hear people, especially, again, religious people, talk a lot about legalism and trying to avoid legalism, and I advise against avoiding legalism. But I think legalism at its core has this idea that 
laws are out there and things that we're supposed to do are out there. And if you're able to keep them, if you're able to perform them well, you can be accepted. That's, that's, that's the core of legalism. Performance-based acceptance or rejection. Have you ever been there in your life? Where you just can't seem to quite measure up? Or you're trying really hard, you feel like you have to? And you feel like if you can't, you're going to be rejected? Because legalism is not the presence of laws or even the desire of keeping them. Legalism is what you get when acceptance or rejection somebody is based on your adherence of them. I mean, here's an example. Giving. Giving financially, say, to church. I mean, giving is good, right? We hardly ever talk about it. We don't pass a plate around here. Giving is good. We have expenses. We have things that are great to be able to pay, right? Like keep the lights on and stuff. I mean, we could have this meeting if there weren't lights, but nonetheless, it's good. But accepting people based on their giving is not good, right? So this good thing, giving people giving of, in this case, their finances, twist it around to be something that is the means by which you're accepted or rejected or more accepted, becomes a legalistic trap, dehumanizing to people. Do you want to be, do you want to be assessed? you want your value to be assessed based on how much money you can put in an offering plate? Is that where you want your, your beginnings of your acceptance to be found? I sure don't. That's horrible. Matter of fact, I think that with this in mind, too, if you want people to give in a godly way, don't pressure them. And certainly do not attach acceptance based on it. So, like, this problem that we have with performance-based exceptions once laws and rules are out there, that's, like, bad enough when the laws are good. Things like don't murder, don't lust, don't covet, bring honor to your mother and father. Like, those things, like, when this happens based on those things, like, it's, like, at least those rules are good. It's still not helpful when it's so legalistic. But, man, we're in a culture that seems to invent new ways of getting this really, really wrong. We put out all kinds of unspoken cultural laws, if you will, that aren't even good things. And then we base people's value on them, right? Laws of how, how, maybe not how much money you have, but how pretty are you in the world's eyes? Or how smart are you? Or, or how wealthy are you? Or, or what is your nationality? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes to the Aussies. We, yeah, we accept you only because you're an Aussie. <laughs> exactly, right? But this is what Paul is dealing with in writing this letter to the Romans. Are you more accepted by God because you're a Jew? Or a Roman? Are you more accepting of one another because you're a Jew or a Roman? Or an Aussie, right? Or an American. Or white. Or black. Or olive. Or you must have 12 likes on your pretty pouty face smile on Facebook to feel as though you're accepted. Right? <laughs> 
we must die to those ways of both finding ourselves significant and others significant. That's just a horrible way and a very legalistic way that is unfortunately woven throughout the fabric of our very broken world. Because it is one thing to not accept somebody person to person. But if there's something that we need to get right as a church, and I think there's a lot of things we need to get right at the ch- as the church, this is one of those things we really need to get right. Because we're the body of Christ. And if we start rejecting people or accepting them, either direction based on how good-looking they are, how healthy they are, how much money they have, what color their skin is, what color their eyes are, we are misrepresenting God entirely when we do that. And it is an unfortunately easy trap to fall into. I mean, we are accepted by God through faith. Abraham, he was a friend of God. Isaiah 41.8 talks about Abraham being a friend of God. He was accepted by God simply because he trusted God. God appeared to him. God spoke to him, told him this crazy thing about how even in his old age already, he was going to have a whole bunch of kids, have this huge family, not so story. Abraham's like, cool. (laughs) Sounds good to me. I like making babies. (laughs) He was accepted by God in a right relationship with God just because he trusted him. He was accepted. Before he did anything else, he was accepted, which is probably a good thing, right? It's a really good thing because it certainly wasn't going to be based on anything he did afterward. It's only proof that God accepted him based on just trusting him. That's the way it works with all of us. We're justified by grace through faith. God is gracious with us. Not counting our failures against us. He just says, come on, trust me. Let's go do this thing. Let's do something good. And in that little kernel of beginning where we walk into that relationship with God, knowing that it doesn't matter as it relates to our relationship with him, whether we fail or succeed, is that thing that allows us to continue to move forward with him and him with us. He doesn't, you know, like if he finds us and seeks and saves us and we're just a total mess, he's good with us no matter how we are. We are justified, we are forgiven, we are put right with him by trusting him. And we're free. We're free. We're free from that rat race of legalism, that rat race of laws that starts to compare and dehumanize people. We're free of it. We're free of it. Done with it. I mean, some people are like, "Mm, that seems mighty dangerous to tell people that God loves them no matter what. Can't we just leverage the law on threats and abandonment to make people more moral, right? I mean, that's the way some people respond. Like, my goodness, if I tell my kids that I'm going to love them no matter what, what are they going to do? Well, what are they going to do if you tell them you won't, right? We We can never to one another threaten threaten the withdrawal of our acceptance and of God's acceptance of somebody based 
on their struggle to do what's right, if we're ever going to become like Jesus, we have to live in that place where we know that we are good with God no matter what. We have to. Not just for you, but for everybody else in this world as well. It doesn't mean that God doesn't speak to us and move us, deal with our brokenness, want us to become more whole and healthy in the way that we interact with one another, just like we would for our own children. But it means that that acceptance is the foundation of that process. That journey rests on the foundation of knowing that we can boldly approach God. When it comes then to what do we do with that freedom, that freedom that we find when we are accepted by the creator of the cosmos, what are we going to do with it? If God does say to us, I love you. I don't care what you do. I love you. What are we going to do with that kind of liberty, with that kind of freedom? What are we going to do with it? Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he had to, he had to deal with this stuff all the time because that is what the gospel affords us, right? The good news of God's love for us and his kingdom here on earth and the free admission into it affords this opportunity to exploit it. Well, Dad, if you tell me you're going to love me no matter what, well, then I'm going to go do no matter what. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, that's possible. Paul writes, in 1 Corinthians, and he says, all things are lawful. This is what the Corinthian church was saying, and they got it from what Paul was saying to them. All things are lawful. I can do anything. God will accept me no matter what I do. And then he goes on, but yeah, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, not all help. All things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So yeah, we could do anything, but golly, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We should use our, our freedom from this craziness of being overwhelmed by, by our sinful nature to have our eyes open to what righteousness looks like and sell ourselves to that. Sell ourselves as bond slaves to righteousness. It's going to be a battle. It's a struggle. It's hard some days. But if we can just keep it in front of us, I mean, and some of you who have struggled with substance abuse or any other addiction for that matter, I don't care what it is, you know how hard it is. Some days you just have to wake up and make that intentional decision to live for righteousness. And it's true for all of us, but I think that keen awareness of that is one of the reasons that every congregation should have people that have had substance abuse backgrounds because it's so, it's so right there, that struggle, that daily struggle to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be born again by the Holy Spirit. To, you know, that's another one of those terms that gets thrown out of the church all the time. I'm a born-again Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. I ain't no such thing as somebody that's not a born-again Christian. If you're a Christian, you've been born again. 
right? And, and sometimes we just stop there at born again, and we don't talk about what does that mean to be born again? Well, what it means to be born again is that you have to start from infancy and learn all over again how to live, how to walk, how to feed yourself, how to be in relationships with people, led now by the Holy Spirit, not by your sinful nature. So stop the competition. Stop the comparing yourself. Stop the, well, I'm better at keeping that law than they are. Right? Like, we stop that, and we learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. That is part of being led by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine a world where we are all led by the Spirit so powerful and so fully that we naturally and easily do what is right and naturally and easily do not do what is wrong. It's a similar expression of the question that I asked earlier. Can you imagine that world? I mean, because we get to see glimpses of it now. Any place that somebody in the name of Jesus is accepted, just cared about and loved, and somebody has said, you know what, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how broken you are, but God accepts you, he loves you. He sent his son to die for you as a free offering. The Spirit gives us the capacity to start that journey today, every day. To live as that, 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 that person that just naturally wants to do what's good and what's right. That's the first response. And again, we have to, to work at it. We are supposed to be ambassadors of God's grace, ambassadors of his kingdom. For those of you who went through the reframe material, and some of you here did, ambassadors was one of the things that we were called to be at the end of all of this. We're citizens of the kingdom of God, and we are ambassadors sent out into this world to live by the Spirit being led by the Spirit, as born-again people, right? Proclaiming this good news of God's acceptance of people, his love of people, that his son has been sent to seek and save the lost, and that we have, as his body, have been sent to seek and save the lost. And we have this great little place over here called the atrium at Gather, and I know not all of you can spend time there, but it's this great little like spot, almost like a like an outpost of the kingdom of heaven, right? Where, where hopefully, hopefully, people can come, and it's not about the place, but we kind of have to have a place to get, right, and to be, a little place that's known for you can walk in and be accepted no matter how broken you are. And, and loved and cherished and valued right where you are. And I, I'd be hard-pressed to imagine there's a single person here that doesn't want that for themselves. I mean, to know that you're wanted, to know that you're loved, to instead of feeling like you have to be in your sinful nature corralled over into a corner and ignore it, only to walk into it and out of it 
every once in a while when it rears its head, but instead being able to say, yeah, I'm pretty messed up. And I want to deal with, with me. And yeah, the world is pretty messed up. And I want to deal with it. To know that you're accepted regardless of the struggles that you have is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. So what do you think? Do you want to be accepted? You are. Whether you want to or not, you are. And I know you do. One of the greatest human longings that we have. So remember that as God's kingdom people, as his citizens, as his ambassadors. Keep that in mind in your interactions with the people, whether it be over at the atrium, or whether it's walking down the street, whether it's in your workplace. Proclaim the good news. Oh, nothing, not now. That's just the beginning part. Proclaim that good news that Jesus has come to love us and to accept us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, gracious Father, loving Father, thank you that, uh, boy, thank you that you don't give up on on the broken world that we live in, and that you don't live, you don't give up on us who are broken vessels in this broken world. I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit right now that, that this idea of being accepted is when we want to trust you is not just an idea, but by the power of your Holy Spirit right now that, that all of us would, would just know it somehow, mysteriously even, that somehow we would just know that we are good with you we're just good with you and that yeah we got a long ways to go and we've got a lot of a lot of rough edges to let you work on we've got a lot of struggles still a lot of sinful behaviors that manifest in us but that we can find ourselves free of any judgment free of any needing to compare ourselves or free of any condemnation at all because we, we, we trust you just because we trust you having sent your son to, to love us to care about us to offer himself for us just let that sink into us Lord Jesus let your Holy Spirit just do that powerful work in us and let it, Lord Jesus, motivate us to grow and to become more like you, Jesus. To be more faithful like you. be more trusting like you. Help us to get along with each other. Regardless of where we've come from, whether we're from Australia or even New Zealand. Scotland or Ireland or from this country or Mexico Canada wherever we're from whatever whatever we've gone through in life we I know Lord Jesus are dearly 
cherished and loved by you as people made in your image. Prove that for us, sending your son to us. We trust that. We trust that. We trust that. We trust that. We just stand on that firmly. And say, have your way with us, making us to be more fully human. Praise you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus.